This week's guest on the Voice and Sport podcast is 2016 Paralympic track and field athlete Scout Bassett. In this episode, Scout shares powerful stories about her childhood, surviving the loss of her leg as an infant, being a Chinese-American adoptee, finding her passion with running, and so much more. She gives us life tips and shares lessons that shaped her success today. Scout also highlights the importance of representation and inclusivity for everyone, especially those with disabilities. She reminds us to embrace life's challenges for good, to recognize and celebrate our growth, and not put our worth in social media in comparison. Throughout her journey, Scout has turned adversity into opportunity, and it is such an inspiration for all of us to hear her story. Welcome to the Voice and Sport Podcast, Scout. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I think this platform is just incredible and the work you're doing is amazing. Thank you. Well, you are an inspiration to all of us. And as a Paralympian into the 2016 Games and two-time world champion medalist, you have achieved success at the highest levels. But what is just so amazing is how you got there. So today we're gonna dive into your childhood, how running changed your purpose in life, and how you have learned to embrace your identity. So let's start with your childhood. It was probably unlike many of our listeners' experiences. And so suffering from the loss of your right leg in a chemical fire as an infant to spending seven years in an orphanage in China before being adopted and moving to the United States, your story is really incredible. And what you have accomplished during this journey is just amazing. So let's start from the beginning. How did you feel your childhood shaped you into the person that you are today? It's uh, it's such a good question. I would say that it really is at the underbelly of everything that I am today. I suppose that's there's probably pros and cons to that, but I would say mostly pros for sure. You don't go through such a traumatic experience like I did at, at such a young age and not have that impact who you are. We're just not wired to be that way. And so I can say it certainly has been the thing that growing up in the orphanage and losing my leg and coming here at such a young age and, and all the circumstances that uh, surrounded my childhood, it's also the very thing that drove me and has pushed me to have the success that I have today. But I don't want to be uh, sugarcoated and say that it was all, you know, roses and and unicorns, because it certainly wasn't like that. The, The impact of it has been enormous. And there are scars that both physical and, and, and invisible from, from my childhood experiences that will never go away. I'm constantly working through and on this journey of healing, and those are things I'm always working on, but it's been unreal in so many ways. Well, I think what you mentioned is so important, right? You cannot always judge or know how somebody's feeling on the outside just by their physical appearance. There's also the inside. And that what we talk a lot about at Voice and Sport is both the mental side and the physical side of of being an athlete. But certainly that extends beyond sports. And it goes into your experiences and where you grew up and how you grew up. And so, you know, reflecting back on your own experience as a young woman, what do you remember at your earliest times when you go back when you did lose your leg? Do you mm-hmm. remember that moment or what was the earliest moment that you realized that you don't have your leg and how did that impact you when you were younger? 
Well, fortunately for me, I actually don't remember the fire, how I lost my leg. I was a year and a half old when that happened, so I don't have memories of that. But I do have memories of growing up seven years in, in an orphanage in China, in Nanjing. And just that experience alone was heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. The kind of experience that just breaks you down where you do not know how you are going to continue. And this is a government-run institution. This isn't a charity orphanage. So not a lot of nurturing and love was given as a result of that. You know, just a lot of other unthinkable things happened in, in that place. I remember just that every day of like, I need to survive. I need to survive. And many days not knowing how I would do that. You get to a point where you're broken down physically and, and mentally and emotionally in so many pieces that you don't know how you're like, you, you start to lose your will to, to keep going because as far, you know, for seven years when I lived in that place, nothing changed. I never had a feeling of a hope that things were going to get better or that I was going to get out of this situation. And I think that for a lot of people, maybe not to those extremes, but I understand why mental health and why so many people struggle with mental health because really at the core of it is a feeling of hopelessness, right? A feeling of things are not going to get better. I cannot see the light at the end of this tunnel. There is no promise of a, a better future or, or better life. Or there have been things that have happened that there's so much shame or, or embarrassment attached to it that they feel like they cannot live beyond that. And I think for me, that was very much at the core is when you feel like there's a lack of hopelessness or hope, you feel hopeless being able to continue. For me, my encouragement is that I don't really know how I can say that there's some level of divine intervention from above, whatever you want to call it. But that really helped me because I, I would say every day I literally don't have the physical ability or even mental capacity to keep going, but you just do anyways. There's something to be said about that because if you're able to, if you can just keep going, you might get that miracle. You might get that light that you've needed. And, and it is there. I know it's kind of heavy stuff to talk about for our childhood. No, but it's so important. And that hopelessness, you know, it can come at any time in your life, right? It can come mm -hmm. early, it can come later. And I think finding the light is really important, wherever that light comes from, like you said, if it comes from mm -hmm. some sort of spiritual guidance, if it comes from a religion, if it comes from two amazing people from the United States coming to adopt you yeah. and bring you home, you know, it comes in different forms. And that hopelessness can come in and out of a lot of people's lives. I think it is really important to talk about it because many people feel alone mm -hmm. or feel like they're the only ones going through that hopelessness feeling. And mm -hmm. we want everybody to know that, hey, it, it actually can be quite natural, human nature that we go through this, but it's important to find that light. Talk us through what did that light look like and mm -hmm. how did it sort of change the next couple of years? Because at this point, you still were not running. You, you didn't really start right. your running journey mm -hmm. until you were 14. So mm -hmm. when that moment happened, when you were adopted by your parents in 
Michigan. Mm-hmm. What was that moment like for you? You know, I think I will surprise quite a few people when I say that it was in itself another form of trauma and just heartbreak in the sense that I go from leaving the only thing I'd ever known in my life, this orphanage, to being ripped out. And what people forget is while we didn't necessarily have parents or loving adult figures, we had each other. The other orphans become your family and you're in this struggle together and you're all going through the same experience of immense pain and trauma. There's something about that that binds you together so closely and it's a bond that's very unique because it's not like there's a lot of other people that go through that same experience, right? So you get so close to these other kids and They really were my family. I put it under the context of like, if you don't know any other life or any other way, that is what home is to you. So to be ripped out of that place and we had no access to media or the outside world. So it's not like I had a reference of I'm going from this situation to something much better. I didn't know that. We didn't see anything in any form of media of America or families or all these situations are something you can't even fathom. So that was really traumatic. I remember for almost the first year of just that deep heartache of like longing to go back to what I knew and to the other children and the other kids. But then obviously you settle in and you realize this is wonderful and life-changing. I would have obviously never probably survived had I not been adopted. And I say that because when I came here at seven years old, I weighed 22 pounds. That's almost some one-year-olds weigh that by the end of their first year. I was a size two toddler, so obviously not even close to what I should have been, and extremely frail. I'm able to know now and understand that being adopted and, and coming here was really the thing that saved me because I would have never lived a full life had I stayed in that environment. And obviously there's a certain process and age where they age you out of the orphanage, but my parents are incredible people for what they did. I feel so immensely grateful, but there were so many circumstances even coming here that were really challenging. I was brought to a really small town in Northern Michigan, a town of 1600 people. So real small town, I could count on one hand the number of minority that lived in this town. And three of them were in our family because I have two other siblings that are adopted from China. So just to give you context, and then also I have a disability, I don't speak the language. Just that process of adjusting here was really, really difficult. Kids are not always the the most understanding at that age and to be put in school right away and trying to make friends. I have a different story and and I have a disability and having them try to still be friends with you, that, that was really hard and was a, a really difficult transition. Wow. Yeah. I feel like there there's this moment when you get a little bit older and you reflect back on to your younger self and in that age group mm-hmm. of middle school and even sometimes into high school. And you realize mm-hmm. how mean kids can be really mean to each other. And yeah. I hope that anybody yeah. who's listening to this podcast can really take a step back and realize like the impact you can have with just 
one word, one comment can be really positive or it can be really negative on people. And you never know how people are doing, where they came from, what their experience was. And it's just so important to recognize the impact of your words and how you mm -hmm. treat people. And that's unfortunately not a lesson a lot of people learn until they're a little older. So with, yeah. you know, going into such a small town and not a very diverse yeah. town, is that what drew you into sports or how did you get involved into yeah. sports? And is that where you found yeah. a sense of belonging? Definitely. It was both. I got involved in sports because a lot of the kids at school did youth sports, like youth city soccer and softball and in that. I remember them coming to school and talking about how much fun they had. I couldn't really understand exactly what they were talking about because obviously second grade, I mean, I am getting somewhat proficient, but I don't fully understand the language. I'm not fluent in it. But I just remember the joy that they had coming to school talking about these sports. My family's not athletic at all. Nobody played sports. My parents didn't do sports. So it's not like we watched sports on TV or that I was taken to any sporting events or anything. And I remember being like, I don't even know what soccer and softball is, but I want to sign up and do it anyways. I think also the thing about that's really beautiful about sport is that it is without boundaries in many ways. And what I mean by that is you don't have to be of the same ethnicities. You don't have to speak the same language. It's really the beauty of sport is that it can bring together people um, from very different backgrounds. So I signed up and I, I quickly realized disability is going to be a bit of a, a problematic thing because I'm always welcome to be there and come to practice. But when it came to the actual games or the tournaments, I didn't get to play. So I, I see this is going to be another hurdle, something else I'm going to have to navigate. And honestly, it didn't change. I didn't play hardly at all through grade school, middle school, high school years. I didn't get a lot of playing time. In fact, there were seasons in sports where I never played at all and everybody else did. But I continued to sign up and I continued to join every season, every year I did a sport. And I think it was just the fact that I was able to be mobile, to move, to be outside, to do things that I wasn't able to do as an orphan in the orphanage that I just wanted to be part of. But I found out that disability was something else I was going to have to navigate. And it was pretty obvious to me, the prejudices, the preconceptions that or the misconceptions people have of disability. It's what drove me in sport. Thank you for listening to the Voice in Sport podcast. My name is Nicole Robson, and I'm a beach volleyball player at Santa Clara University. I love working with Voice in Sport because we empower young girls and women, and I would love if you would join us in trying to make a change. Go follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Voice in Sport for more amazing content. You can also sign up for free and join our community of female athletes at voiceandsport.com for mentorship, sports content, and inspiration. Thanks. Now let's get back to the rest of the episode. What would you hope if you could go back and maybe whisper to all of those kids that were around you in your different sports with you at that time, if you could just whisper something to them now, what would you mm -hmm. whisper to them about how to be more inclusive of a young woman yeah. like yourself? I would say to not be fearful of things that you don't know or people that don't 
talk like you, look like you, behave like you. It's important to embrace those things. I know it's a hard thing for young kids to grasp, but it's human nature to want to bond with people that are similar to us, that share our same similar backgrounds, or that look like us. And that's human nature. But also, I would say that the things that I've gained, the relationships, the friendships, the connections that have been most valuable to me in my life are ones that. People don't look and act and talk like me. I think there's something really valuable about that. So I just encourage kids to embrace that. We are fearful of things we don't know. We're uncomfortable by things that are different than us. When in reality, it could be something gained on both sides from the idea of inclusion and acceptance. And oh, you can play with us. You can sit with us. You can hang out with us. That was definitely something that I didn't hear a lot of growing up at all. Yeah, it breaks my heart, and I think what you're saying is so important. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. It's such a valuable lesson, whether that's sport or not. It's just important to be kind of aware of your own biases and your own experiences. Yeah, and if you don't know something, it's okay to ask questions. I think a lot of the kids were not necessarily wanting to be exclusive of me. It was more like, well, we don't know how to talk to her. Maybe we have concerns, but we don't know how to ask her. So instead of talking to her, we're just gonna pretend she's not there. And my thought is, I think it's important to ask questions. Go home and ask your parents. Have conversations. It's okay to go up to the person too and say. Hey, I wanted to ask about your leg, or are you comfortable if we do this? It's just good to have to ask questions and you know what's your story. I think like a lot of that didn't happen either, and I think one of the hard things too is a lot of times people in our situation where if you're the person that's marginalized, it's difficult. People think, well, you should just speak up and you should just kind of search yourself more. Right, like that's how you're gonna get them to listen to you and to pay attention. But the thing is, it puts a huge burden on that person. And I was not who I am today. I didn't have the confidence, or I was not as outgoing as I am today. So it was really hard for me to just pour myself out and be like, "This is who I am. This is my story." And I just wasn't that way. So I think when kids or coaches or educators put me to the sidelines, it was really hard for me at that time to advocate for myself and to really speak up and to stand up. And that's why earlier you mentioned about the comments and stuff. I never realized how damaging the experiences were. I mean, I was in a grade with only twelve kids, super small, and the other eleven kids got invited to a birthday party of somebody in the classroom over the weekend, and I found out I I didn't get the invite. But at the time, those things, whether they're blatant or not, or just the comments of anything like being Asian or. Having a peg leg, or do you want to be a pirate for Halloween? Because you already have the cost. Like those kind of things, I remember just laughing it off, almost because I didn't know what else to do. And I think you see that from a lot of kids in my position. I see it when I mentor、yeah. kids. They're in situations where somebody will say something, and they don't want to be combative. They don't want to be rude, and they just kind of silently, sort of absorb that pain. 
And that's something that's very common. I think that a lot of that could be avoided if we just had an open mind of inclusion and acceptance and the idea of really just loving and accepting people for who they are. Obviously, it's a different time now, but back then, this was before the age of internet where you never saw somebody with a disability really on TV or in entertainment or media. It was so foreign, but now obviously there's a lot more information and access, and I do think that things are changing a little bit. Yeah, what you said is just so spot on. I think it's like those micro moments, you know, and all those small comments, they can add up to an overall really heavy feeling. Everybody has a role to play. It's one of the big things we're trying to do at Voice in Sport is really educate young girls on how they can not just be their own advocate, but advocate for others when others might feel the pressure to have to speak up for themselves. And I think what you called on is just so critical. There is power in speaking up and having conversations and not putting the burden all on the person that is marginalized. I really appreciate what you said, because that's a big focus of what we're trying to do here at Viz is like inspire girls to stand up, speak up, have Mm -hmm. conversations on things that might not just be affecting them, but might be affecting so many other people who feel like they can't speak up. So Mm -hmm. such an important conversation we're having on this. And I'm curious to know, when did that transition happen for you where you started to feel more confident in yourself? I know that you received a grant for for running prosthetic from the Challenged Athletes Foundation when you were 14. And you started to kind of get a bit more into running in the events. Is that when your confidence kind of started to come in? Or did you find confidence later when you were at UCLA? It definitely started when I began to run. That was a big turning point for me, being able to do something that I had never done before. But also in running, I felt like all the chains that had held me down as a young girl were lifted. And just knowing that this is the thing that I think is so beautiful about sport is that if you find something you love in sport, it can make you feel like all things are possible. And that's what running did for me. It was like, I have a future. I'm going to be okay. Like everything that I have struggled with in my life, it's going to mean something, you know? And so I think that was what running really gave me was just that feeling of, okay, not only do I belong, but I matter. And I don't know what it is, but one day I'm going to do something great and my story is going to be meaningful. And so it's just that was like so incredible. And it was really the journey of the start of a healing journey in many ways for me is being able to run. But I never had any aspirations to to be a professional athlete or or to do Paralympics or anything like that. I want to say this because so many young kids struggle with this. Growing up, I did not know what I wanted to be or to do. And I would even say that all of this, while it has been a dream now, it wasn't a dream then because I didn't even really have the ability to dream when you come from where I come from and go through the kind of struggles and loss and 
pain and and hardships that I've gone through, it's like the idea of dreaming of who you want to be and where you want to go, like that wasn't even a thought. I just want to encourage young kids that if you don't know what you want to do or you don't have dreams or you don't know what that is, it's okay. It will find you or you will find it at some point. But I know so many girls in particular struggle because they're like, oh, I feel like I'm not together because I don't have a path or it wasn't like I wrote in second grade, I'm going to be a Paralympian and went out and did that. And it's okay to take a a path and a journey of winding roads and self-discovery of uncertainty. Like all of that is important and is meaningful too. So my point being is that when I started running, I had no idea that it was ever going to lead to the dreams that I have today. I just want to kind of give that little sense of hope that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. And actually for me, I didn't even find out about the Paralympics until I was in college and obviously didn't start doing this professionally until several years post-college. So it's okay to not have it all figured out and it's okay to take a path where, you know, it's not a straight line. Absolutely. I love that advice, you know, because you can go in one direction and then another and you will have so many different turns in your life. I love what you said because I always talk to the the girls in the community at Voice and Sport. I try to remind I remind them even when I was graduating college like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. But I took a step I tried this, then it led me to another step. And then it's almost like a zigzag to then these moments that don't happen all the time. They happen over Mm -hmm. periods of years where you then say, ah, aha, like that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then you might zig and and zag again. And then you have another one of those moments. (laughs) No, that's such a great analogy that along the way, it's okay to taste steps backwards and you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to have failures. And I mean, gosh, my whole story is of that. I've had so much failure, so much rejection, but also so many triumphs and wins along the way. And that even the, the hard stuff of going through failure or setbacks or struggles that they're, they don't have to be a negative. You know, and it doesn't mean that it's the end of a story or your journey. In fact, all of that can be building you for something really incredible. If you just lean into it, you don't run from it, you don't fear it. And you say, okay, whatever mistakes and failures that happen along the way, it's going to grow me. It's going to lead me to where I'm supposed to be. I've never met a, a truly successful, content, thriving person that hasn't gone through a lot of mistakes and failure and disappointments along the way. Like all of that is supposed to happen. In fact, if you don't experience any of that, trust me, it might not, you're probably not at where you're supposed to be yet. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit more about failure and perfectionism, because I think this is what causes a lot of anxiety, especially for student athletes today, where it's just a lot of pressure and the pressure to be good at school, to be good out in the field, to be a good friend, to be good, you know, it's just a lot of pressure. So what advice would you have knowing that you went to UCLA, 
and then bef- and that's kind of when your career sort of kicked off when when you had a, a performance director who saw your results wanted to recruit you to go to the US Paralympic Games reflecting back now on your time as a student athlete in college what advice would you have for those girls who still feel like hey th- it's not okay to fail and they're trying to be perfect whatever some so- society ideal of perfect is what advice would you have for those girls well, I might not be the best person to ask this because I I am a perfectionist in, in so many ways. And it's something I'm still working on. And even now today of letting go, but also it's not necessarily a bad thing because in many ways that drive to improve, to get better, to always be striving for that next level of greatness is also what has led me to have so much success. I I would say for anybody who is that type, it's a good quality to have. Obviously, there's uh, cons to it. But for me, I've just had to really work on trying to be just the best that I can be. I think so much of the perfectionism mentality comes from a lot of external expectations or pressures or perceived demands that we have on ourselves. So whether it's coming from a parent, or in my case, it could be partners or sponsors, it could be family members or friends, but that ultimately everything you do, you have to ask, who are you doing this for? And to appease others is never going to sustain you like long term, it's not going to lead to a long career and anything. Um, Always going back to like, what is your why? And I think when you can answer that and you build everything you do based on that, it gets a lot easier to sort of, okay, take off the pressure, the demands, because as long as you know you're living in your purpose and you're in alignment with what your why is, you're never going to be a failure. To continue listening to this podcast, please go to voiceinsport.com, sign up for free, and join our community of girls and women in sport. Scout goes on to talk about her many different identities, how she dealt with the tough times and realities of her life, and the importance of saying no and asking for help. We also go on to talk about the need for inclusivity in sport and beyond. Head to minute number 28 to get started on voiceinsport.com. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Nicole Robison, a beach volleyball player at Santa Clara University. We're so thankful that Scout shared her story with us today and so excited to see all the incredible things she will achieve in sport and beyond. Her story is simply inspirational. You can follow Scout on Instagram at Scout Bassett. And please subscribe to the Voice and Sport podcast, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. You might also want to check out episode number 77 with Cece Telfer, another woman athlete who turned adversity into opportunity and teaches us to fully embrace our identity. If you are interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com to get started. When you join the Voice and Sport platform, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top viz experts in sports psychology and nutrition. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast.